If you have your Bible, open up to Isaiah or open your phone to Isaiah 60. I want to share a few verses with you. This one will be probably pretty familiar to you. Isaiah chapter 60. I was thrilled when I heard Pastor Zach say that the name of the conference he was inviting me to speak at was called Lift because I just got done a a few, uh, probably that week, telling our church family that I feel like the Lord called us into a ramp season. I was in the back of our church praying one time by myself and just asking the Lord what he's wanting to do and what he's wanting to do with our youth and what he's wanting to do with a couple different aspects. And I'm praying and I'm walking around and I'm sitting down and I'm praying in the spirit. And I, I hear a word that was, that, that was I, I don't think it was audible, but it was close. And, and there's just different ways that I've learned over the years. I'm sure you have these certain little ways that it's almost even romantic of how the Lord speaks to you. It's almost unique and specific. And, and, there's, the, and, and there's certain ways he does that for me. Um, and, and he spoke this word and it came to me. And it was one word and it was the word ramp. And I won't go into what all the different aspects were about that, but what ramp is, is, is you know, going to another level. And I knew immediately it was regional. I just knew immediately it was regional, and I knew it had to do with the glory of God. And then right after that, I get this phone call to come here, and, and uh, next Sunday I'll be at a church in Central City, Kentucky. I'm probably, Lord willing, going to speak the same word because I believe it's a regional word. It's a word that includes you. It's a word that includes uh, me. It's a word that includes you and your household, which we'll talk about in a second. But I believe it's, it's, it's also a regional. And ultimately, I really believe it's an international word. And you may say, well, what in the world does, does where I live and what I do have anything to do with internationally? It has everything to do. Inter- the body of Christ is connected. And so it affects, it affects everybody, whether you, probably to degrees we don't even know how to explain the body of Christ affects and connects the body of Christ, even across the seas. There's, there's this thing that happens in the spirit because where there's agreement and where there's faith, it multiplies. So when you say yes, your faith outlives your life, your faith outlasts your life, your faith actually goes beyond the realms of your life and affects other people. And so if you look in Isaiah chapter um, 60, and we'll start maybe the first, I read in the New King James Version, um, and looking at this, I want to read maybe, I don't know, we might read through verse, um, I don't know, we'll see how how far I want to go into it. But let's look in Isaiah chapter 60, uh, verse 1, and do me a favor to make me feel like I'm home at Faith Center. What I do is when we open up our Bible, I ask them, um, when you got it, say got it, and they say it out loud. So when you got it, say got it. There you go. All right. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness shall... Uh, and deep darkness... Notice that deep. That just stood out to me. Deep darkness, the people, but the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light, and the king's to the brightness of the rising, the brightness of the rising, lift up your eyes all around and see. I'm going to read that one again. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together and they come to you. Your son shall come from afar and your daughter shall be nursed at your side. In case you missed it, Chad, your son shall come from afar. You shall see and become radiant, and your heart shall swell with joy because of the abundance of the sea. 
shall be turned to you. The wealth of the Gentiles shall come to you. The multitude of camels shall come to your land. Uh, the dromedaries of Midian, meaning the young people of Midian and Ephath, um, and, and all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and incense, and they shall proclaim the praises of the Lord. And the rocks of Kedar shall be gathered together to you, and the rams of Nebaioth shall minister to you. They shall ascend with acceptance on my altar. And I will, listen to what the Lord says, I will glorify the house of my glory. Go with me to Isaiah chapter 4. Make a quick left. Go back to Isaiah chapter 4. Isaiah chapter 4, it's a really short chapter, but we'll look in verse 4. So Isaiah 4, 4. When you got it, say got it. When the Lord washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion. First of all, let me let you know, you probably already know this, but anytime in the Old Testament, you have to read the Old Testament with New Testament perspective. And when you look at the Old Testament, anytime it's referencing Zion, it's not talking about a place, it's talking about a people. It's talking about the church of the living God. That's what it's talking about. So it's not just talking about a place, it's talking about a people. And it shall come to pass, I'm sorry, verse 4, uh, when the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and purged the blood of Jerusalem from her midst by the spirit of judgment and the spirit of burning. So it doesn't sound real happy right now, but stay with me. Then the Lord will create above every dwelling place. Somebody say, my house. Of Mount Zion and above her assemblies, a cloud and smoke by day and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For over all the glory there will be a covering. And so when you look at this, this, this prophetic promise that he's talking about between Isaiah 60 and, and Isaiah 4, and there's more verses we could go to in the book of Isaiah, there's this amazing promise that, he is, that we find is, is, first of all, when the Lord is talking about arise, like it, it's everything Pastor Zach was talking about, about this conference, about he's coming to lift you up. He's coming, and it's not like he just saw you, and it's like, oh my goodness, I better do something, I better go. It's always been in his plan. He never meant to leave you where you are. He's bringing you little by little, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. He's bringing you further. He even told his disciples, I have so much more to tell you, but you can't bear it right now. So the whole call of God and the whole assignment that God has over your life is not going to be accomplished in one season. But one season of doubt, rebellion, and fear can cause you to miss out on a whole bunch of what God has for you. Now, the callings of God are irrevocable. I truly believe that. But if you stay in a heart of fear or a heart of doubt or a heart of unbelief because of a difficult season, then you're going to miss your rising. It's like Jesus weeping over Jerusalem saying, you have missed the time of your visitation. And the Lord is doing something globally right now, not because it's a new thing and not because of how we kind of verbalize it or describe it or whatever. It's always been part of his plan. And so what this verse is talking about is, is it's kind of like if you were in that day in Jerusalem and you heard this prophetic word, then, then you would have really, this is kind of what you would have heard, that the same glory that God, that Jehovah Yahweh, the same glory that God put o over the, the tabernacle and the temple, cloud by day, fire by night, and the same glory in the Holy of Holies, that same glory that God put on his house, he's about to put on your house. 
Every dwelling place. That even means the south side. Every dwelling place. That he is wanting to pour out his spirit upon all flesh. Even your sons and your daughters. My sons and my daughters. Yeah, your sons and your daughters. All of us. He's wanting to do this thing. This has been his plan. It's been his plan all along. And I'm telling you, he's pre-calculated your ability to mess things up. And so his plan and his purpose is, wasn't to do the tabernacle in the temple and leave it there. That was part of a bigger plan to where ultimately we all know this. We all know this, that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That we are kings and we are priests. And, and the glory of God abides on us. And so here's this promise that God is saying, I'm going to every dwelling place, every dwelling place, every household is going to have the same glory and the same anointing and the same covering of glory. And that covering of glory has different dimensions on it. That covering of glory over your house and the public assemblies. So he said the, over every dwelling and the assemblies. So he's saying it's not either or. It's what he's saying is every because you're in covenant relationship with me, anywhere you go, I'm there. Anything under your, your realm of resp- responsibility, I'm there. And I'm going to put my glory over your house. And I'm going to put my glory over my house, the public assembly. So privately and publicly in these assemblies, it's under the canopy of the glory of the Lord. And the covering of the Lord, and when you look at and study that out, the covering of the Lord, it, it talks to a divine, a divine protection. It talks to, about a divine habitation, like it's a holy place. The oxygen is different there. The air is different there. It's lighter. It's better. It, it doesn't have the impurities there. The glory of the Lord is pure. The glory of the Lord has this purity where there's just wholeness, and holiness is wholeness, so there's this wholeness that's there. Nothing missing, nothing broken. It's just whole, it's complete. And it's not because of the house. Like, look at the cedar or look at... It's not because of, of, of how great it is. See, in our world, we need to go find an Airbnb that has the stuff we like because our house doesn't have the stuff we like because we can't afford it. So we go get an Airbnb, Airbnb that has the stuff we like and we're like, oh, this is so nice. And we try to feel a peace. What, he, what God is saying, when my glory is over your house, it doesn't matter what kind of house it is. My glory is there. And there's a divine, there's a divine habitation. There is a divine dwelling there. There's a divine direction for your life. Like what direction is your house headed? It's a divine protection and provision over your house. And so when you look at this, um, years ago I heard Jack Hayford say this. He talked about a verse about house, and when you look, look at the word house, and he talked about there's different dimensions to the word house. We say house, and we mean our house, our, our brick, or our shingles, and our, our two-by-fours, and sheetrock, and our property, and we think of an address. This is our house, or what your house looked like, how, how, who built your house. We think about things like that. Biblical concept of house is much different than we think about it. And the biblical concept of house has different dimensions, and I'd like for you to write these down. The first is relationships. When you talk about your house, the glory shall be on every dwelling. He's talking about your relationships. So what does that mean? He's talking uh, generationally. Most of y'all believe in a generational curse, and you're trying to believe in a generational blessing. But there's a generational... God looks at generations. He's a God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's, 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 he's working in you right now something that will be a, your harvest right now in your life will be a seed for the next generation. 
So when you talk about the glory of the Lord being upon my house, and this is why I get passionate about this, because I'm all for assemblies and, and love-heaven conferences and assemblies and where God's moving and people are, are, are worshiping and we see God moving. I love the public assembly. I love meeting in the public assembly. I love that. But the greatest miracles that have changed my life have been in my private house, have been with me and the Lord and nobody else there. And so anything publicly only confirmed that which was private. And so I love seeing the revival. I love seeing all that kind of stuff. But we need to remember that the glory of the Lord wants to be on my house. And that means in my relationship, my relationship with the Lord, my relationship with me. How many of you have a, a little unstable relationship with you? You know, so what, what this is talking about is your relationship with you. Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love. So you got to have a healthy, godly relationship with you. And that's the glory of the Lord. And, and I want to unpack this tonight for you. And so it's relationships. The other thing is real estate. It does deal with real estate. And whether you got like a, a, a little bitty, you know, not even an acre, or whether you got a, a whole bunch of acreage, walk your house. Walk your house. Walk, walk around and you speak over that real estate. God, I thank you that the glory of the Lord is over this real estate. The glory of the Lord abides upon it. There's angels on every corner. And I thank you that the property value is going to go up. I thank you that this house is blessed. Pipes work. Water run. Electricity work. And I don't know where you live, but my house, squirrel, stay off my power line. Those little jokers get popped all the time, but it runs. <laughs> Sorry, some of y'all probably like squirrels and stuff. They, I see one running. I'm like, there goes another one. He don't even know it. He's going <laughs> to, anyways. But it knocks out my power and frustrates me. And so you, you speak over the real estate. This is, this is, this is huge to, to be able to have ownership in real estate. You begin to, to speak to this real estate. And, and so you're speaking over the relationship. You're speaking over the real estate. You're speaking over all of your responsibilities. That means your calling of work and what you're called to do. A lot of people work from home now anyways. So it's about your responsibilities. God, what have you called me to do? What have you gifted me to do? Wh who am I responsible to and who am I responsible for? So over my relationships, over my real estate, over all of my responsibilities, the glory of the Lord needs to show up there. And the last one speaks to your realm of influence or even your regional influence. What influence, what sphere has God given you? Don't try to go make a place for yourself because if you go bust down a door and try to make a sphere of influence for yourself... You'll have to keep it. But when God sets you in a place, he'll keep you there. And I can promise you this. Y'all have already kind of figured it out. I'm not up here because of my great speaking ability. I'm up here because God made a way. And I believe he made a way because I honored him privately and he rewards me publicly. And so the reality of, of what I want you to seek in this time when, like Pastor Zach was saying, God is moving across the earth. What's our responsibility? How do we look at this? How do we, how do we approach this? We need to re re understand that the, 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 the perspective, the healthy perspective, the pure perspective is God over my dwelling, over my relationships, over all these things that pertain to me. Let your glory come in my life. Because the glory of the Lord is the weightiness of God. Like a gold bar, you can tell the worth of it by the weight of it. And so the weightiness of God is like the worthiness of God. That's what worship is. It's, it's, it's ascribing worth to him. 
It, it speaks to the wealth of God. The word glory, kabod, it speaks to the wealth of God, the, the glory of God, the, the brilliance and brightness of God, the strength of God. It speaks to all these attributes about God's person. It's the glory of God. It's the brightness of His image. It's His character. It's His nature. There's a weight when He walks into the room. There's a worth that he, when He walks into the room. There's something brilliant when he walks into the room. His strength, it's his authority, it's his anointing. The authority of the Lord has weight to it. And so that's the glory of the Lord. It's not just some, some Shekinah glory like we say, oh, it's a, it's a mist or it's gold dust or it's this or that. Praise God for all that stuff happened. As a matter of fact, I wish somebody would manifest some gold dust around here. I'd take it home. But it's not about some of these things that we seek after because God promises us more than just gold dust coming into a room or coming into a meeting house. He says, over your house, over your house, my glory is going to be there. We have no problem believing the enemy get, has our number. We have no problem believing the enemy will attack us in the middle of the night or in our bedroom. There's no problem believing the strategy of the enemy to get up close and personal to try to steal, kill, and destroy. But sometimes it's hard to believe that God would come all the way from there, all the way to here, to do something good in my life. And the reality is Moses, which I'm not going to have you read there, but you know this, the thing in Exodus 33. You can write that down and look at it later. Moses has this prayer with a stiff-necked and, and rebellious people that he's trying to lead, that God gave him to lead, and he's like, these people are stiff-necked and rebellious. You ever seen one of them? And, and he's sitting there praying, and he's like, God, and God's saying, because they're so stiff-necked and rebellious, I'm not going to go with y'all. Promised land's that way. Y'all can go if you want to. It's yours, but I'm not going with you. And Moses starts to sing interceding in Exodus 33, and he starts crying out to God, God, if your presence doesn't go with us, if you don't go with us, we're not going. And he says this statement. He says, show me your glory. That's been taught about many times. Notice he didn't say, give me your glory. He said, show me your glory. Now, there's a, that's a real key thing. That word show is the same word that you see in Hebrew when, when God saw in creation, when God saw that it was good. It means, it means to intentionally look upon something. It means to change the way you perceive something. So what Moses is praying is, God, I need your presence. I, I know you called us with a promise, and you're going to bring us to the promised land, but the promised land is not that good, and the journey there is not the same if you don't go with us. Some of us in this room would be fine to be without God as long as he guaranteed the place we were going. And the glory of the Lord is not about a place. The glory of the Lord is about a person. It's person to person. The only way the glory really works is not upon a building. It's not upon a thing. It's not upon an it. The glory of the Lord really only works person to person. The glory of God was made for a person. And from the greatest person to the least among us, God wants to release his glory. Not just over, not just over uh, some kind of thing or some kind of place. Oh, that's glorious. Oh, look at what. Oh, no, it's the glory of the Lord in your life. The weight of God's worth in and through your life. In and through your family. In and through your house. In and through all he's called you to do. And so Moses cries out, show me your glory, which is all about seeing the glory of God. He didn't say, give me your glory. He said, show me your glory. And God's answer, you know this, God's answer was, okay, I'll let all my, what did he let go before him? 
goodness. So we know the goodness of God is out of the glory of God. And then you skip one, one, two, skip a few. You skip all the way to for, um, Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 14. And you see that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His full of grace and truth. So now we know three things. The glory of God is filled with three things. The goodness of God, the grace of God, and the truth of God. And Moses cried out under the old covenant, Show me your glory. Isaiah 42 says, My glory, uh, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I will not give to another. I've heard a lot of preachers preach on that. God won't give his glory. Don't touch the glory. God won't give his glory to another. And he talks about what that other is. I, I won't give my glory to another. And what he's talking about is idolatry. He won't give his glory to an idol. But here's what I want you to know. He's already given his glory to you. John chapter 17. Jesus says, this, the, the glory you've given to me, Father, I have given to them. So the New Testament cry of show me your glory is actually, is actually really close to Ephesians chapter 1. I might just look at that. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. Because the New Testament cry of show me your glory is not show me something I do not have, but show me what you've given me. Reveal to me what you have given me. And Ephesians 1 is, is key in this. It's key in this. Most of you probably know this prayer, but I will hopefully you'll see it a little bit differently. He says in Ephesians 1, starting in verse 15, Therefore I also, after I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus um, and your love for all the saints. Well, that's a good place to start right there. Do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. So this is the prayer the Apostle Paul was praying. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. Now we know Satan is called the Father of... And what does that mean? If he's a father of lies, where do the lies come from? From him. He births the lie. He creates the lies. So who creates the glory? The father of glory. And who is he? He's your heavenly father. And the same glory, in John chapter 17, the same glory that the father of glory gave to Jesus, Jesus gave to you and I. But for me, I was taught, don't touch the glory. So I learned to live without something God or Jesus died for me to live with. So the Father of glory may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So he didn't say, may this, he did not pray, he did not pray, May the Father of glory give you glory. Why? Because he's already given it to you. And maybe you're like me. Maybe you ended up continually praying and asking God to give you what you already had. Because you didn't have a revelation on how to use it. Where to find it. Where do I put that thing? So you're crying out to God to give you something that you already have. 
asking for God to pour out revival when you could start revival any time and anywhere you want. It's just easier if somebody else goes first. And so this prayer is that you would have not received glory, but you would receive wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And then look at the next verse, verse 18, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And, that, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us, excuse me, toward us who believe, according to the working of his might and his power. So let me just, let me just, let me just put a couple of things out here for you. Does anybody know who Jochebed is? And I might be pronouncing it wrong. I'll just go ahead and tell you because I don't want somebody to, somebody to say it, pronounce it right and make me look ignorant. Because <laughs> we ain't doing that tonight. So Jochebed is Moses' mother, and her name literally means Jehovah's glory. I was praying regionally, and that came to me. I don't know where I heard that, who I first heard said that, but that came to me. And so the Moses is the one who pursues the Lord, and then he's crying out, leading the people. And here's what he's saying, show me your glory. Now, why was Moses saying, show me your glory? He wasn't saying it just for himself. He realized it's not just about him. He realized that what God was doing in his life was about him and about all the people God called him to lead. And everything that God is wanting to do in your life is not just about you. Matter of fact, nudge your neighbor and say it's not about you. It's about the people that the Lord is wanting to reach and touch through your existence, through your life, through your faithfulness to him. And so Moses... Uh, has a mother who says, Jehovah's glory is her name. And he cries out, show me your glory. Almost like I sense this thing of like, this is part of my inheritance. And I'm crying out, show me, show me your glory. If I found favor in your sight, show me your glory. It's not a rude thing. It's not a prideful thing. It's not an arrogant thing. It's a courageous thing. And see, people who don't know what God has given them won't fight for what they have. You'll keep asking God to give you a victory you already got because you don't know how to use the victory he gave you. Now that's a, a different cry from the church of Ichabod. Y'all know what Ichabod means. So we have one child, uh, um, Jochebed, who, who names a child Moses, and, and, but her name means, uh, means Jehovah's glory, Ichabod which if you study in 1 Samuel chapter 3, when, when Eli fell backwards uh, you know, off the, uh, off the wall and he heard that the, the, the presence of God, the ark of God had been captured, and then one of her son's um, wives, uh, when she heard that and, and heard, and it's so funny, it wasn't that grandpa was dead. That's not the thing that made her um, go into, into birthing the child when she heard the ark of the covenant had been captured that she went into childbirth, and she named the child Ichabod. And Ichabod means, where's the glory? Y'all remember this? The, the, some of y'all probably don't remember this, but, you know, Zach and I will. Y'all remember the thing about where's the beef? <laughs> where's the glory? The glory of the Lord has departed. That's what it means. And God forbid that ever gets spoken over another generation. 
Why would the glory of the Lord depart when God's the one who gave his glory? We have to be faithful. We have to be faithful stewards in this thing. We've got to, we've got to look at this thing and, and walk through this thing and be faithful in, 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 in all of this to understand what he's wanting to do with his glory, how he's wanting to reveal his glory. Matter of fact, look in James chapter 1. Look over in James chapter 1. I want to show you something. We know the scripture that says in Colossians chapter 1, about Christ the mystery, Christ in you, the hope of. Oh, y'all must have a good pastor here. So notice that, Christ in you, the hope of glory. I'm going to go somewhere with this. So in James, you see a similar thing as what we did in Ephesians. Look in James chapter, uh, James 1, chapter 5. The whole chapter is good, read it some other time. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So what's going to be given? Wisdom. Okay? Remember the prayer in Ephesians was a spirit of wisdom and revelation. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For you, doubts is like a wave and driven, tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, for he is a double-minded man and unstable in all his ways. For years, I was taught that what that verse was saying is God's not giving you anything if you're double-minded. If you don't have full faith, God's not giving you anything. As if, the, as if my relationship with God works like this, and God's above me, and, and I'm walking in everyday life, and if I do good, then God rewards me. Like, here's a cookie, here's a star. Like, if I do enough, he'll, he'll reward me with healing. He'll, he'll, if I come to church and do everything just right, he'll reward us with his presence. Maybe there'll be a tongue and interpretation. That's when you really know God's showing up. Or, or I'll come to it'll be my worship, worship team singing my favorite song. Woo, Jesus. Then I, then I know God's showing up. And I walk through this thing always looking in real time of God, God give me this and God do this. And then the day that it doesn't show up, and I'm hitting all the buttons I know to hit, I'm doing all the things that I know to do. And it doesn't show up. I'm like, Lord, yeah, where are you? Ichabod, the glory of the Lord has departed. Because what I'm living, I've learned, a lot of churches and a lot of people have learned this, that we're living in a faulty relationship with God. It's a faulty faith. Because here's, here's the thing I was teaching in my church recently, that your faith actually doesn't move God. I don't have faith that God is going to move. That sounds backwards. It sounds crazy. But I don't have faith that God's going to move. My Bible teaches me that my faith is in what he did 2,000 years, years ago on the cross. By his stripes, you were healed. So my faith is in the grace of what he's already accomplished. So my faith is in knowing I'm in covenant relationship with Jehovah Jireh, my provider. I'm in covenant relationship with him, so I'm not looking for him to give me provision. I have the provision he's already given me. I just need to know how to apply it. I just need to know how to get my hands on it. So what this verse is saying in James is a double-minded man. Let him suppose that he will not receive anything from the Lord. says nothing about God giving it to you because God already gave it to you. 
What it talks about is your doubt, your fear, your anxiety, your flesh, your sin, your thing that makes you double-minded, that makes you hesitate in your relationship with God. Your lack of faith is is you being double-minded, which limits your ability to receive the thing that God already gave you. And then since you don't have it now, you think something's wrong with the button, but really something's wrong with your faith because you have a button-pushing faith. And if you push the right buttons, we've trained the church people to get the certain reaction, and now we feel like God has shown up. That's why we went through COVID. We kept saying, let's go back to what we had. And God was saying, I want you to come further. I want you to come higher. I'm trying to lift you up because I've already given you a glory on the farthest level that you're not even on yet. And I need you to put faith in what I've done so you can receive what I'm doing. Glory on your house. Glory on your house. So faith, faith is, is, is my response to what he's already done. God, I thank you. That means on my worst day, when depression's trying to creep on me, on my worst day, Father, I thank you that the joy of the Lord is my strength. So my faith is my response. It's not hype. It's not me pushing a button trying to get God to work. My faith is is my intelligent response to what he's already done. I'm in covenant relationship with him. It's mine. And that's why if you look in 2 Corinthians 3, and I'll land here. 2 Corinthians 3. I chased a little rabbit there, but I'll get back on track. 2 Corinthians 3, look at this. This This is so cool. 2 Corinthians 3, I know you know the scripture. It says, um, where should I start? So let's start in verse 13. 2 Corinthians 3, starting in verse 13. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. Oh, this is going to get good. Look at this. Watch this. But their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil, everybody say veil, remains unlifted. See, we're at lifted conference. Hoping the Holy Spirit shows you what remains unlifted. Because you're asking for something you already have. And you don't need a new manifestation. I thank God for manifestations. I hope Chris Strong levitates back there. (laughs) I love manifestations. I love them. I'll tell you what I like more. Maturity. Maturity in how to walk in the glory of God. Maturity in how to walk in the glory of God. So the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament. That means these Jewish people reading their Bible, but ain't nothing jumping off the page. Because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. And nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty or freedom. Let me say this. I wish this verse went one step further. It doesn't say this, but I'm sure it means it. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There is freedom. 
And where freedom is, there's responsibility. But we all, with unveiled face, behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of God. And it goes on a little bit further, talking about the unbelievers that their mind is blinded, that there's a veil over their mind, and their mind is blinded. I think it's really interesting. There's two groups of people, one who read the Bible and one who does not read the Bible. Both minds are veiled from seeing the glory, the, the wealth, the worth, the character, the person of God. They can't see him because there's a veil over them. And so... Like, I don't know if I can do this. Um, okay, I think I can do this. Yeah, perfect. I don't know what it was connected to. So here's the truth and here's the word of God. It's veiled. Let me ask you a question. Is the word of God here? Is goodness here? Is grace here? Is truth here? Why can't you see it? It's veiled. So... Revelation is simply what a spirit of wisdom and revelation is. This is why the Apostle Paul is praying for the church. I pray you have a spirit of wisdom and revelation from in the Father of glory, for the Father of glory. He's given you glory. It, he's given you glory. It's veiled to you, but he's given you glory. And my prayer for you is that you would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And that spirit of wisdom and revelation, revelation is an unveiling. Revelation is an unveiling, listen to me, of what was already there. It's already there. You already have it. If you're a believer in Christ, you are in covenant relationship with God. You already have. Now, there's a couple things I won't have time in Scripture to go to, like the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said you shall receive power. So you will receive something you didn't have in the baptism with the Holy Spirit. But the, but the right to ask for it, you already have. But everything in your identity, in your authority, and in your destiny, your righteousness, peace, and joy, everything in your life with the Holy Spirit, you already have. So when you feel like, oh, Lord, give me peace, I need peace. No, you don't. No, no. Only thing you're taught to ask for is wisdom. Wisdom. Why do I need wisdom? Because when somebody, the enemy, or if I have a, when I sin, you know what happens when I sin in my life? It doesn't make God stop loving me. It doesn't mean I'm unsaved. What it may do is I kind of put a veil over something that God, God has in my life. And the, the veil of my flesh will keep me from walking in something God already gave me. It's not that God loves me. It's not that God's mad at me. God, it's not that God's trying to judge me. It keeps me, and then what happens? Here's what happens. When this happens in our life, here's what we do. We go to a church, and we go to a church that's lively because if it's alive, it's worth the drive. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> and you go to a church, and here you start pushing these buttons. You learn how to, like, push the buttons. You learn how to, like, start doing the stuff. You learn how to, you know, depending on what church it is, you learn how to start doing some different button pushing to get God to move, to give you the thing that you have, but you don't know you have it, and you want it, but you don't know how to use it. 
Because you're pushing buttons and trying to put faith in a system and a structure. Or, or you come all the way down here to Pastor Zach, and all of a sudden you think the anointing is on him and him alone. So you start like, you know, trying to push his buttons. What makes him work? What makes this thing? Maybe this would help. I don't know. Let's, <laughs> let's do something because if he's not up or the worship team's not up or my people aren't there or whatever's going on, if somebody left, why'd they leave? I don't know. Maybe God sent them. Maybe whatever. But if something's not happening, I'm missing my buttons. And so the reality is what, what has to happen is, no, 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 I don't have any buttons. I'm in covenant relationship with Yahweh. That Christ in me is the hope of glory. See, faith is not hope. Faith looks back. Faith looks back into what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Hope looks forward. So some of us are living in hope, calling it faith. But the reality is faith is not, God, please come down and move. God, please come down and heal. God, here's what preachers say, rend the heavens and come down, oh God. Instead of realizing that, God, you've already come and you live in me. And I've got your glory in me and I've got your power in me. And he who's in me is greater than he who's in the world. So why in the world am I going to sit here and try to be weak and push buttons when I can unlock the glory? I don't know if that was a can or a gun. I'm not sure which one that was. But whatever, it's about to get real up in here. You know what I'm saying? And so, so for us to be mature believers, not chasing revivals, not chasing this move and that move, think, oh, look what God's doing. Oh, look over there. And not even realizing, look in the mirror. Look in the mirror. Let's go read about what God has called us to be, that I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. That by my God, I can leap upon, up over a wall or leap over a troop. That, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And looking to the word of God, by his stripes, I was healed. And so understanding these promises of God are his glory. And that I'm powerful. In him, I'm powerful. And not starting to push buttons to, to get the glory of God. to the Glory, glory. You know how you say it a certain way, you think God's going to, oh, that's the right tone. And let me say something even something else. Older folk in here. You will miss out on the glory that God's given a generation because it didn't look like what God gave you. And it can be more pure than what God gave you, but because it doesn't look like and sound like what you like, you don't think it's the glory of God. And now you've fallen into preference over purpose. And sometimes what you call glory is simply your amen to that's what I prefer. Instead of that's the glory of God. Hey, pastors, I, I tried to be cool one time. Listen, I tried to be cool as a pastor one time. I think my kids or somebody got me some skinny jeans. I tried to be cool. I tried it. I tried, I tried to be hip. I tried to be cool. I tried to be whatever. I, man, you... I couldn't do it, man. I couldn't do it. it. Took me two days to get them things off. <laughs> I'm telling you, I couldn't. I couldn't do it. I just felt like I was wearing spandex. It just didn't. I just couldn't do it. And see, here's the thing: you got to be careful, because a generation can fall in love with the image of a thing. But the image that we're supposed to look to is 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 the one we see in the in in the mirror, the mirror of the Word of God. 
and we get a great revelation of who Jesus is. Look at the glory of God. Look at him. Look at the glory of the Lord. And we have to get a revelation that the glory of Christ has been given to us as a gift, not a reward. It's a gift. And I want to show you one more thing. Pastor Zach said I could do whatever I want. And like I said, y'all fire me. I'm just not coming back. (laughs) Psalm 24. So one of the prayers I'm going to pray here in just a second for you and I want you to really get hold of is is, there's two, two things so far. You might not have caught it, but two things I want you to pray. Number one is a new thing of show me your glory. But not show me your glory, pushing the buttons, waiting for God to do something. Show me the glory that you've already given to me. Show me the glory you've already given to me. The second one is, Lord, remove the veil. What anxiety, what false belief, what fear, What double-mindedness. What I need a spirit of wisdom and revelation so I can rightly receive what he's already given me. Those are two things so far. And the last one is this, in Psalm 24. Taught this at our church, and I hope this will make sense. And then I'll let you go. Matter of fact, worship team, you can start making your way up here just to give y'all hope. So let's just read Psalm 24. When you got it, say got it. The earth is the Lord and all its fullness. The world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? What a great question. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the Jacob, this is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. That's that cry of Moses. Moses wanting to see the face of God, the presence of God. Show me your glory. See, after we get born again, after we get saved, we should start calling that out on a new level of intimacy and covenant relationship, covenant relationship with him. God, show me your glory. Show me the glory that you've given me. Help me be a steward of your glory. Walking in that, and, and there's a lot. I'm just skipping over here because I want to land on this last part. Verse 7. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. And be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Now, notice what's happening here. I want, I want you to see this. Maybe Y'all might already know this, you might not. This is, this is kind of a, a conversation going on in, in, in a kingdom back in the day. And, and so what would happen is a king's entourage would come in with their escalades. And they'd roll up to the city and there'd be all this fanfare and all this stuff. And the gates of the city would be locked. And what would happen is the announcer, the hype man of the king, would stand up and get the subwoofers and the escalade going and get the mic on. And he would say, lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. 
So that was the announcement. That was the hype man making the announcement. And then the people behind the gate would say, who is this king of glory? And then the people would answer, the hype man would answer, and this is where he'd get the wicked, wicked stuff going. The king of glory, uh, who is this king of glory? And he would answer, the Lord, strong. And that's when the, the subwoofers, do doom, do doom, do doom. The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. And then he'd start again. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, um, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors. And the king, I never even realized this would be lifted up until just right now. And lift up. I just, I just went there because I felt like it. Um, lift up your everlasting doors and the king of glory shall come in. They asked the question again. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is king of glory. So I'm telling you what Jesus came when he said repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And his message to us is he's coming to the gates of your house, the gates of your dwelling place, the gates of your city, the gates of your assemblies. It's not one or the other. It's not just the church house, and it's not just your house. And the Holy Spirit is the hype man who's coming in, saying, declaring who this king of glory is, so much so that John the Baptist was the forerunner for the king, saying who this king is. And then we begin to hear something and we say, who is this king of glory? We're the gatekeepers. We, we're the ones that keep the gates of what comes into our mind, what comes into our heart, what comes into our life. And we've opened the gate to all the wrong things and shut it to the things of God. Who is this king of glory? I'll tell you who he is. He's the one that Moses said, show me your glory. He's the one that Moses saw deliver him from Egypt and deliver millions of people through a sea. That water came out of a rock and manna came down from heaven. And a cloud by day and a fire by night led these people. Who is this king of glory? He's the Lord, strong and mighty, mighty in battle. Who is this king of glory? He's the Lord of hosts. Lord of the angel armies. He's the Lord. And the king of glory. When you said yes, that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. You believe that in your heart. You confess that in your mouth. Your king of glory came in. And now the cry could be twofold. Who is this King of glory? I believed in Jesus as my Savior, but I need to start getting, who is this King of glory? If I don't know to the degree that I don't know the King of glory or the glory of the King within me, then I'll, I'll fall for a substitute. Who is this King of glory? And then it's, show me, O King. Show me your glory. Not as one who doesn't have it, but help me mature in that which I already have. Help me grow in what I already know. So that when the enemy comes to attack and the enemy comes to, to 
come against me and comes to rattle me and shake me. I don't have to run and ask you to try to give me something. My gun's already loaded. I'm ready to go. And I fight the fight of faith by remembering what he's done for me. I heard a story of a bishop that said he had sickness. And this is spirit-filled bishop, believes in all the gifts. He had a, a little tumor, went to the doctor, and he said, Dr. Phil, I got this little, this little something, a little bump right here in my chest. He said, feel this. And the doctor went and felt it. It was so small, the doctor said, I don't feel anything, anything. He said, Doc, I've had this body all my life. There's something there. Feel it. He said, well, we'll go run some tests. So they ran tests, and there was a lump, small lump right there. But it was small. And so the spirit-filled bishop was like, ah, God, you know, I'm, I'm doing conferences, I'm doing teaching, I don't have time to, Lord, I just, you just, you'll, you'll, Lord, I just thank you that you'll heal. And a long story goes by, what ends up happening is the tumor kept growing. And the man never, and he was looking back on this, but he doesn't know why, but he just, he never spoke to it. He just kept saying, God, please just, God, please, please take it away. God, please, if you love me, God, I know you're a healer. I know you can heal. And there's a difference with praying, oh, God, please take this away, versus in Jesus' name, I'm telling you. I'm praying, praying the prayer of faith. I know by your stripes, I was healed. And this tumor, tumor, you got to go. Way different than, oh, God, please, let me push the buttons. Let me push a button and stand a certain way. Maybe you'll heal me. And so the tumor got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until it was said it was the size of like uh, a softball. And he was wearing bigger coats to try to cover it. And he went, he went to the doctor and the doctor finally said, listen, this is, we're going to have to deal with this. And the doctor said, here's what we're going to have to do. The doctor said, we're going to bring you in. We're going to put you under and we're going to take a saw and we're going to cut your chest wide open. And then we're going to take all of the right side of your rib, the right side of your rib cage, we're going to take out. We're going to take your rib cage out and we'll have to replace it with something plastic as we put it back in. And the guy was like, what? You're going to do what? That's the only way we can get to it. We got we to take out your rib cage. And we'll replace this, and we'll have to do skin grafts from almost everywhere in your body just to hopefully cover the skin to where the skin grafts would work over your body. And the guy's like, what? He was angry at the doctor. Walked out, and the Lord spoke to him. You've heard what the doctors will do. You already knew what I would do. Speak to me. And now because of like, I mean, the rib cage coming out, the bishop was like, okay, I'll do it. Okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. So every day he starts confessing. Every day he starts thanking God for the glory of the Lord. Every day he starts thanking God for who he is in Christ. Every day he stands up thank, and thanks God for his identity, his authority in Christ. And he starts speaking to this thing every single day. Like he said, it was like a fist fight. I was speaking to that tumor. I was speaking to that thing day in, day out. And it was a slow process, little by little. What happened within a year, the tumor was completely gone. We're so weak in the glory of the Lord 
that if God doesn't do a manifestation and take it away instantaneously, we won't fight for it. And the glory of the Lord. See, that's what's awesome about you two. You've been fighting for this church. You've been fighting for the call of God. You could have quit a long time ago and no one would have blamed you. But you've been fighting for the Lord. And, and it's a miracle every month, Pastor Zach said. Knowing who you are, knowing what God called you to be, knowing what God's given you, standing up, saying God called us here. If he calls us somewhere else, we'll go. But calling, following a calling and running from one is two different things. And that's not just for him and, and, and Diane, it's for you guys. It's whatever God's called you to. You got it. Some of you might be here and you're thinking about leaving. Because you don't like this or you don't like that. You better listen to the Lord. He's, the, he's your king. And some of you are in a battle right now. You're fighting stuff and, and you don't know what to do. And you're looking to human wisdom. You're looking to do a, a pros and cons list. And you're looking at stuff. And what you need is show me your glory. There's a king of glory inside of me. Show me your glory. Show me your worth. Show me your wealth. Show me your anointing. Show me your strength. Show me your strategy. Give me wisdom that I won't be double-minded so I can receive everything that you gave me, so I can apply everything you gave me, so I can activate everything you gave me. And I can fight. I can stand up and fight. And I can go to war against the enemies of God's glory.